Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up on this podcast, Pastor Rick McDaniel shares some insight into how Christians and churches can respond to the coronavirus, prioritizing walking in faith rather than giving in to fear. Then another coronavirus update from a Christian doctor, David Stevens of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, who provides some helpful information from a medical and biblical point of view. Next, we know that God has made some wonderful resources available to us for our lives, and we have to make ourselves aware that they are there and avail ourselves of them. So says Pastor Jensen Franklin. Some of his comments are ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the National Religious Broadcasters 2020 Convention in Nashville, a timely conversation with Jim Bolthouse of the Presidential Prayer Team took place, who provided some insight on this initiative and gave encouragement to pray for our leaders. Also at NRB from the pro-life ministry Save the Storks, which offers mobile ultrasound units to pregnancy resource centers across America, Victoria Robinson shared a portion of her own story dealing with abortion and how she began to experience God's healing. Then, from First Stone Ministry, Stephen Black stopped by at Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention to share about freedom from homosexuality and same-sex attraction that Christ has promised, emphasizing walking in victory rather than accommodation in these areas. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Rick McDaniel serves as senior pastor of Richmond Community Church in Richmond, Virginia, and is the author of the book, You Got Style, How Discovering Your Personal Style Impacts Your Faith, Family, Finances, and Much More. In a recent conversation, he shared principles regarding how Christians and the church can respond to the coronavirus. From that Meeting House conversation, here is Rick McDaniel. In my ministry through the years, I've watched people battle fear. I've spoken on it many times. I have a, an entire thing called Fear Less, a six-week study and, and DVD video teaching on this whole thing because it's such a, a huge thing. You know, fear turns us into control freaks. And so when something cataclysmic happens, like has happened now, we just have a loss of control. And so then we want to control even more. And, you know, we, this is not good for us. It does not move us in the right direction. We can be paralyzed by fear. Then security becomes our God safety and security becomes everything. And these sorts of responses are the opposite of the faith walk that Jesus has called us to. As someone that takes his responsibility very seriously, as I know that you do as far as communicating good information, there is quite a bit that we do not know, and there are so-called experts uh, across the board that have differing perspectives on how serious this is and how we should respond. And so in this culture in which we live, there's, there's a lack of information, but there is certainly an overabundance of opinion especially <laughs> as you look on social media and we do yeah. feel a a sense of helplessness and can really easily become overwhelmed by all of the information that is coming toward us how do we how do we no, filter right. that and respond i think that uh, we maybe we have to somewhat limit what we allow to come into our hearts and minds because it becomes too much if we're not careful, fear begins to corrode our confidence in the goodness of God. You know, either God is good or he isn't, either he's in control or he's not. 
And so at some point we have to choose faith over fear. And the more we exercise faith, the less fear uh, has a control over us. It's almost mathematical in its formula, greater faith, uh, less fear. And so you come to a place where you you just have to discipline your thinking and replace your fearful thoughts with faith-filled thoughts and, and recognize that you know, this is part of what happens in life. You know, we face challenges, we face difficulties. I mean, certainly this is, you know, this is pretty unprecedented. There's no doubt. I'm a big sports guy. And the idea that sports is, is like canceled, is just bizarre to me, not to be too unspiritual here, but I mean, come on, it's March madness. I'm, I'm a graduate of Duke university. I love to watch my, uh, you know, team, play in the NCAA tournament and the ACC tournament. And so to miss out on that and then basketball and hockey and all the things. I'm also a graduate of Boston College. We have a great hockey team, the Frozen Four, all of that. I was actually supposed to be at one of the games a week from today, next Friday night in Boston. So it's it's certainly disturbing uh, and upsetting. But again, you know, in the end, we have to just uh, ask ourselves, you know, is is the are we going to give in to fear or are we going to resist it? How is it that we can still walk in faith yet take necessary steps in order to protect ourselves and to protect those around us? So this will be my mess sermon on Sunday. So you'll we'll give a little preview right here. Gospel of Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says, I'm sending you like lambs into a pack of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. This is what we need. We need to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. What does that mean? It means that God wants us to use our brain. We need to, the word in the Greek originally has the idea of understanding. We need to have understanding and wisdom. We need to be sensible and prudent. And so we need to look at everything and say, this is where we're at. So we need to follow all of these guidelines that we're being given about hand washing and social distancing and all these sorts of things. We need to do all those things because that is what Jesus told us. Be wise as serpents. Use this brain that I've given you and have understanding and wisdom. And then the other side, innocent as doves, and here the idea of the word is purity, to be unmixed. And so really what we're talking about here, Jesus is saying, you know, I want you to have a a purity and a sincerity about a genuineness about who you are as a follower of Christ. We are called to express compassion and love. And in times like this, We need to do that. Rick McDaniel here on The Intersection. You can learn more by going to the website rickmcdaniel.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's CEO Emeritus of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations, David Stevens, providing some helpful information from a medical and biblical point of view regarding the coronavirus. Here now is David Stevens. What we need to do to stop this is to keep it from being transmitted. The more people it's transmitted to, the harder it is to control. So this is an important time, and that's why you're seeing all these restaurants and sporting events and everything stopping because there's no other way to control this right now than to decrease the spread. And the way to do that, stay six feet away from people, don't shake hands, don't hug, don't kiss, and to wash your hands frequently and disinfect at home. Now, I know 
Bob, that there's a lot. We went to the store today, my wife did, and saw that, you know, there's counters bare for disinfectant and toilet paper and things like that. Let me give you something very practical. Um, if you if you uh, live uh, and do your own laundry, you probably have a bottle of Clorox sitting around. That's one of the best disinfectants, and it also can be highly diluted. So if you put five tablespoons in a gallon or four teaspoons in a quart of water, put it in a spray bottle or just put it on a rag and rub things that you want to disinfect. It is very effective. It's very cheap. And if you've got a quarter or a gallon at home, it'll last you for months. So uh, that's one way to disinfect things around your home um, that uh, would be helpful. Soap and water does it as well. And uh, if you've got dirty hands for some reason, use soap and water and, and not uh, disinfected. But th we just have to be careful. We have to not spread this to others. We need to stay out of contact with other people. And that's what they're doing in this country. And that's the only thing we have as an option right now until we get medication and a vaccine. Now, are we at a point where someone could call his or her doctor's office and say, hey, I'm having some cough, uh, some coughing going on. I, I think I've got a fever. Can I come in and have a COVID-19 test? Are we at that point now? We're getting there. In fact, they're, I just learned today that they're putting together some large mobile fans that are going to be able to do this. And I think before you know it, we're going to have mobile testing like they have in Korea, where you just drive up in your car and someone's there in a full hazmat, you know, gown, mask, face shield, uh, gloves, and they can test you in your car. It's not, uh, it doesn't take long. They take a swab of your throat and a swab of your nose. It's a little uncomfortable for about three or four seconds because they go way back in your nose to get a good sample. But they can very quickly tell you uh, whether it's positive or negative. And uh, I think we're going to get that. We've had some problems with manufacture in this country. The first uh, test kits that came out didn't work properly. It was a manufacturing defect. And uh, they've gotten past that, and there's supposed to be a lot of testing available uh, during this week uh, and going to be spreading across the country. So the better we identify people, the better we can isolate them. And the concern is people think they just have the cold, and they can spread it to a lot of people, and it begins to multiply exponentially. So how do we balance the walking by faith with taking these practical steps yeah, we don't spend all day watching the news or looking at the Internet. Uh, almost every article is on this. And, you know, fear is a contagion. And uh, if you hang around fearful people, you will likely become fearful or fearful sites where this is going on. And then secondly, um, you know, read God's promises. Go to Psalm 23. Go for Matthew 6. Uh, you know, don't be anxious about your life. God's still in control. This doesn't catch him by surprise. And, and God often does his best work in the midst of crisis. This is a unique opportunity for us to demonstrate to those who don't know Christ the hope we have in him and the peace that passes understanding. And then if you get in a situation where people are needy in your community, uh, take uh, reasonable precautions, but reach out to them, help them. Uh, don't isolate yourself in the sense that you're not willing to help people in need, whether it's your family or your neighbor or someone in your church. Um, we have to demonstrate what God told us to do, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. And throughout history, in some of the worst epidemics, much worse than what we're seeing now, when millions died, Christians were the ones that uh, put their lives at risk and took care of those in need, and sometimes to their own death. Uh, we're to sacrifice ourselves for others. So 
don't live in fear. Uh, look to God for comfort. Uh, pray for others. Pray for our leaders. Pray for those that are making these decisions. Pray for our communities and then uh, be available to help others as God uh, prompts your heart. David Stevens here on The Intersection. The organization's website is cmda.org. Jensen Franklin serves as senior pastor of Free Chapel, which is a multi-site church headquartered in Gainesville, Georgia. You know, God has made some wonderful resources available to us for our lives, and we have to make ourselves aware that they are there and avail ourselves of them. That is the point of the book, Acres of Diamonds, Discovering God's Best Right Where You Are. Here now is Jensen Franklin. Well, it came from a story, a true story, that happened in eight, in the 1840s. And here's what happened. In South Africa, there was a man named Ali Hafed. He was a farmer. He worked hard. He had a plow, an axe, lived in a meager cabin, and did the best he could to provide for his family. It was a hard way of life. And there was a traveler who came through, and he said, it's a shame you have to work so hard. You should go to India. They're discovering diamonds, and all you have to do is pick them up out of the river, and you'll become fabulously wealthy. And that night he went to bed discontent. And to make a long story short, he go, he sells that farm, sells everything on it, hugs his wife goodbye and little kids and says, when I come back, you'll be so wealthy, you'll sit on thrones, took the money, went all over the world searching for diamonds in India, ended up in Europe, jumped into a raging stream, taking his life and wrote a suicide note, there are no diamonds nowhere. But when the person who bought the farm took the same plow and the same ox and the same acreage, and he began to dig up these rocks, these annoying rocks everywhere, had them checked out, and they were diamonds. It was the world's largest diamond mine find. It's the famous Golconda diamond mine where the Queen of England and the royalty of Europe gets their diamonds. Um, to this day, it's still producing. It's, it's the wealthiest piece of property on the planet, and it was filled with acres of diamonds. And mm. that man that flung himself into that river and took his life never realized that everything he was looking for way out there he had in raw form in the life God had given him, but he wasn't willing to see that he was living in acres of diamonds. And that's the theme of the book. And I just challenge people that, you know, diamonds are born when carbon is put under intense heat and pressure. And so many times we run when the pressure is on. We run from the trials of life. We run from the heat and the pressure looking for grass that's greener on the other side. But God has purpose and potential in the job you're in right now, in the marriage you're in right now. There are acres of diamonds. If you won't quit, you won't give up, and you won't run away. We're talking about what God wants to do and provide for us in our lives in a variety of areas, but you got to know that it's there wherever God has placed you, and you got to look for it. You got to dig for it. So, yeah, how do we do that? It. Yeah, and and it takes time, heat, and pressure. Carbon is in the earth, and it stays there for a long time. The thing that causes carbon to become a diamond is when the atoms bond, and the only way atoms bond is through intense heat and pressure. Every diamond has to go through the lava 
of a volcano under the earth that brings it to surface. And so the whole book, I guess the title can be a little deceptive. It's not like about, you know, just becoming amazingly wealthy. I'm talking about greater treasures, that Hmm. which we find in the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ and how that he will use pressure and he will use fiery trials that we all go through to bring out the diamonds in our family, in our marriage, in our life, in our calling, and in our purpose. Jensen Franklin here on The Intersection. His website address is Jensen, that is spelled J-E-N-T-E-Z-E-N, franklin.org. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. There you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection podcast. You can find the podcast in the Media Center as well as through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the 2020 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. You can also find content from the Meeting House program through the Faith Radio app at a variety of podcast platforms. You can learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or by going to faithradio.org. Find the Meeting House homepage through the programming section. Well, next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, material from a timely conversation with Jim Bolthouse, president of the Presidential Prayer Team. In our conversation, he provided some history on this initiative and gave encouragement to pray for our leaders. From that conversation, this is Jim Bolthouse now. The exciting thing is, is we're getting just a little bit more of encouragement to people directly to pray for uh, our leaders from the president on down, uh, hopefully covering about 900 leaders throughout the year. That is incredible. And when we look at the origins of the presidential prayer team, if I'm not mistaken, this was something that really got started during the W. Bush administration, George W. Bush yes, administration. And, is that correct? Uh, some men in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, were concerned about how our president was being treated and felt that there needed to be a more organized group of men praying for the president. So they began meeting once a week and prayed for the president, and it kind of grew from there. Uh, they started thinking about incorporating and going national, and when 9-11 hit, September 11th, they said this is the time we have to move and uh, the challenge was that they wanted a website up and operational on the Monday following 9-11 that could handle up to 25 to 50 million people. And so um, I owned a company at the time that was doing web development and uh, we were contacted and we uh, put everybody in high gear and got little sleep, but we were able to put it together so that people could come and at least give us their email address and begin an an episode that has gone for almost 20 years now of praying daily for our president, 24-7. We've never stopped, and uh, we just encourage our members to continue to keep praying. And as I recall, in those early days, people could go online. There was a website, as you mentioned, there was that website set up, and they could receive email notifications what was it? Was it a weekly uh, it, notification? It started out being weekly, yeah. um, mainly because of the volume. It took several days back then to send out a weekly email to several million people. Even now, it's uh. quite a complex to, <laughs> to uh, complex of, uh, operation to send out that many emails every week. 
Um, uh, so for the longest time, for maybe eight to ten years, we did it once a week on Thursday morning, early Thursday morning. Um, we would send out our weekly prayer update. And of course, the website was changing every day with new information for people to go to. Then about, uh, two, uh, t- about uh, 2010, 2011, uh, we decided we needed to take the next step, and we went into a daily uh, presentation, um, and even went further with that when, um, when this administration took office. We started a, a countdown, a 100-day countdown, where we gave a daily briefing from the White House for people to pray for for the first 100 days in office for our president. And boy, that people just signed up like crazy for that and wanted to be a part of it. So we've just carried that forward ever since. Uh, the prayer team has just been growing immensely in the last few years. Um, with, as you mentioned earlier, we started just about 14, 15 months ago with a brand new idea of a radio program. And now we're on over 500 radio stations uh, pushing out the importance of praying for our leaders. Well, Jim Bolthouse is joining us today here on the Meeting House on Faith Radio from the 2020 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. So, Jim, this feature, Pause to Pray, tell me just a bit about how that idea came forward. Obviously, it's something inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit. How did that really begin to develop? Well, the original concept was going to be a three to five minute because we couldn't figure out a way to put all the stuff into a shorter period of time. But as we started talking with the radio stations, both the music stations and the talk, Christian talk stations, they both said it would be really great if you could keep that down to one minute. So we really honed on it for quite a long time, tested it, sent it to several station managers, said, what do you think? And finally, it came back to what we have now, which is a very brief announcement of who we're praying for today, a little bit about what that person does. And then we break right into prayer for 20 seconds or so, praying for them. And we just invite the listening audience to join us and pray right now for so-and-so. And we pray together, and the program's over. It's very simple, but to the point. Jim Bolthouse here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website, pausetopray.org. Next up, it's Victoria Robinson, Director of External Relations of the Pro-Life Ministry called Save the Storks at the 2020 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. She shared about her own story involving abortion and the healing she experienced through Christ. Here now from that conversation is Victoria Robinson. I did not share my abortion story for over a decade after going through an abortion. I buried it like the majority of women and men do. And I thought if I don't talk about it or tell anyone you know, I won't get kicked out of church if they don't know. I won't get kicked out off the worship team if they don't know. But if they find out, I'm going to be rejected. A, a post-abortive man or woman already feels God's going to reject them. So people are the easy part. They know if family and friends find out, they're going to want nothing to do with them. At least that's the belief that they have. So it was not easy. I can tell you when I couldn't even look in the mirror alone in my home and say, you've had an abortion. There was no way I could have ever imagined that God would have me speaking all over the country and the world. I just got back from Italy sharing my story of having an abortion. But he has taken what the enemy meant to destroy me and for evil and turned it into good. But he could only do that when I went through healing myself. So after a decade, uh, I finally hit rock bottom with the Lord and women were I was praying with them at my church who'd had abortions. I'd watch God heal them, transform their lives, but I would become angrier and angrier that he hadn't healed me. 
and I met a woman named Mary at my church who was the director of the Pregnancy Resource Center that was local, and uh, she wanted me to volunteer. Finally, I decided after three years, I've got, I'm sick and tired of hurting, and I went through post-abortion counseling. It changed my life, and once I went through healing, I knew God was going to take the gifts and talents He'd already instilled in me by sharing my story to reach other people that have either are considering abortion with my story or who've already had abortions who needed healing from walking that guilt and that shame and that pain. And so that's what I've dedicated my life to do. So what made the difference? What was that point at which God met you and you were able to really open up and experience or begin to experience his healing? Well, for three years, as I said, Mary was trying to encourage me to come volunteer, and I kept putting her off, putting her off, feeling inside, you just want to torture me, God. You're trying to get me to work at a pregnancy center so that I can be reminded every day of what I've done. Well, after three years, there was a particular woman who came to me at an altar at a women's conference that I was a prayer on the prayer team for, which, by the way, no one on the prayer team knew about my abortion. I thought they were crazy to even invite me to be part of it, but they were insistent. And this was one of the numerous women. She came and whispered in my ear, I've had an abortion. It's been over two decades. I can't live with it anymore. Can you pray with for me? I'm, I, I, I hate myself. So I did, and I watched God transform her. That night when I got home, I had a come to Jesus meeting with the Lord, basically telling him, why do you torture me? Why do you keep bringing these women to me for prayer when you haven't even healed me yet? And as this 45 minute to an hour session with Jesus went on, it wasn't pretty. I will tell you, it was ugly. I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and say, I've been trying to. And then Mary's face appeared to me, this precious woman from my church who had desperately tried to get me to come and volunteer at the center. The next day I called her and said, I'm ready to volunteer. I went through post-abortion counseling, so it changed my life. So what God had to do for me was remind me that I haven't left you. I've been trying to bring healing to you. You're the one who's been rejecting it. And once I went through post-abortion healing, here I am, 22 years later now in the pro-life movement. My story has been shared with countless millions of people because of social media and the online presence that I have. And God, again, has taken my story and turned it into something that can change people's life. And I'm grateful for that. Victoria Robinson here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website savethestorks.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Stephen Black, Executive Director of First Stone Ministries and author of the book, Freedom Realized, Finding Freedom from Homosexuality and Living a Life Free from Labels at Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2020 NRB Convention in Nashville, discussed ways in which the LGBTQ agenda has made its way into the church. From that conversation, this is Stephen Black now. This is the problem, is we've got to get back to Genesis. The Genesis of things, the beginning, is Imago Day. In the image of God, he created them male and female. There is no nuances around this. We're either male mm -hmm. or female. And what they're wanting to do is they're wanting to take the language and bring some kind of obscuring and some kind of what they would even consider very smart 
You know, that we're really intelligent. We're the PhDs. We know what we're talking about. And you little people, you don't really know what this is like. And so it catches people off guard because then they would say, you're not loving and you're not compassionate if you don't accept these people as sexual minorities. And there's that. There's another one of those words, so, you know, kind of like, <laughs> let's make up a term. Words have power. I think That's you right. and I had had a conversation to that effect. Words have meaning. And so when you have made up words or terms like sexual minority, what does that even mean? And then you have those that would say, well, God's plan, God's, God's area of perfection is not heterosexuality. Right. It's it's something else. And so I guess that's how you justify possessing and acting on and identifying with same-sex attraction because if you if you admit that that heterosexuality as as I believe again as you go back to Genesis that's God's that's God's way God's best that's God's way that's yes. his plan but if you're not going to to adhere to that you got to make something up yeah when I was in the uh, Exodus circles of ministry years ago there was this little saying that was uh, the goal is not heterosexuality it is holiness and that's only part of the truth because actually if you're in holiness, and so I had to repent, I publicly put it out there. I repented of just leaving that statement that way because actually if you're in holiness, the trajectory is for a soul, a man or a woman to embrace God divine intention, which is to fully embrace even in your fallenness to fully embrace God's divine intention is one man, one woman in covenant marriage relating and the holiness of being uh, aligned in your identity and sexuality, which is innately, you know, biology, innately heterosexual. So not adding some other word constructs of homosexual or same-sex attracted as your identity, but to identify yourself in Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. Stephen Black joining us today from First Stone Ministries here on The Meeting House on Faith Radio, National Religious Broadcasters 2020. Well, we've been talking about Revoice and really some some deep issues with respect to sexuality and matters of homosexuality. Obviously, First Stone Ministries, the book Freedom Realized, the work that you've done, it shows that God's principles, the application of God's truth in areas of sexuality is clear and powerful, and you have the research to prove it. That's right. Yeah, we did in uh, 2012 when Alan Chambers came out and said 99.9% .9 of people don't change at the Gay Christian Network. Uh, it was shocking. It was shocking to a lot of the ministries, and it began the division uh, that took place uh, within uh, months of that, and the Restored Hope Network was uh, formed, and I was a part of that founding. Well, it got me thinking, and so what we did is we did the research of uh, 25 years of client folders, and uh, we were able to contact 500 people of the 1,200, and 185 of them filled out the survey, and the bottom line on that survey is 72 to 73 percent of the people that gave at least one year, many of them more than one year, of pastoral care, discipleship, and support group are the ones that found lasting freedom without labels. And that's why the subtitle of my book is Finding Freedom from Homosexuality, Free from Labels, Free from a Lifestyle of Labels. 
And these labels are <clears throat> are in a place where it can bring a diluting construct of, into the brain of thinking about the identity that keeps people stuck and in bondage. And the scripture is very clear. We're to find our identity in Christ. So we have the, the survey, and we also have hundreds of other people that have found lasting freedom. Stephen Black here on The Intersection. You can find out more at First Stone, spell it out, firststone.org, or Stephen with a P-A. H in the middle, stephenblack.org. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can find the podcast in the Media Center. You can also find it via iTunes, absolutely free. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House, and the other is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can get connected to video content, including recently added content from the 2020 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Conversation material from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app at a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, where you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for another edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.